This is Reconstructing Christianity. Join us as we encourage believers to reconstruct the heart of the Christian faith in this deconstructing world. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Reconstructing Christianity. This is Kendrick. And this is Tim. And today we will be talking about language. Should Christians use it in a mocking tone? What is language and what is and how do we use it? Is it? And dare I say, are we able to use it in an aggressive manner? Oh darn, that is (laughs) very, that is a very hot button issue today. Yeah, especially in our um, modern soft church context where we would just want to be super winsome when everyone over and we don't really know how to deal with the wolves outside the church today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's um. So that's something we're going to be talking about. So, Tim, what is language per se? Yeah, that's a that's a question we don't think of too often. Um, you know, we just kind of take that word for granted. Really, don't know what it means. But language is just you know a form of communication. So it's how you communicate with someone. There's different types of language. There's verbal, there's physical language, but it's just a way of conveying information to someone else. And is language good or bad? What would you say? Yeah. So, you know, like most things in the world, language is a tool and tools can either be used for good or bad, but language itself, I would say is neutral. Um, and in the right context, it's good. In the wrong context, it can be used for evil. Mm. That's very. That's a very good point, Tim. I think um, sometimes in the Christian community, we're too we're too uh, liable to label something as good or bad, and sometimes it's just based upon our feelings and our own consciences. We sometimes turn into that weaker brother who thinks that this is either good or bad. Yeah, what's what's funny, and this word gets thrown around a lot, so don't even like to use it anymore, but it's a form of legalism. You know, we're scared that we're going to use language the wrong way, so we've picked one way that it should be used, and that is you need to sound nice in whatever you say. And God forbid you say something that would hurt someone else's feelings. That's true. Um, so... Before I go too in-depth into this, um, how is language used in the Bible? Because the Bible should be our starting point. It should be the point where we say language is either good or bad. And God never really expressly condemned language. We have people talking in the Bible. God talks in them. So how does the Bible use language? Yeah, well, I will say there are some areas where the Bible does condemn language, like um, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And people will use that to say, oh, well, don't say anything that sounds mean because that's unwholesome and that doesn't build people up. And I'd say, well, you're wrong, and we'll develop that idea a little bit further as this episode goes along. Um, But what we're focusing on is the positive examples of how language is used. Um, we're focusing on, um, you know, how, how Jesus and the apostles and the prophets dealt with, 
different people in different contexts. Did they use a nice tone? Did they use an aggressive tone? If they did use a nice tone, when did they use it? If they used an aggressive tone, when did they use it and why did they use it? That's a very interesting point, Tim. I don't think any of us in the Christian community really bother to think of um, really different words for different people and really uh, these different situations. Usually we, we think of things cut and dry, but I like the way you approach it. Yeah, I mean, and again, this isn't originating with me. I mean, there's been books written on this. Um, the one right off the top of my head is written by Doug Wilson. It's called The Serrated Edge. Um, he deals a lot with why it's okay to use things like satire, mockery, and aggressive tone in certain contexts. We we just assume, again, that there's one context for everything. Um, and I think most of it is because our evangelical church today just wants to be perceived as nice to the culture. Um, they want people outside our walls to look at us and be like, oh yeah, that's that's a place I want to join, but it's at the expense of the truth, and it oftentimes lets wolves into the church that cause harm to the sheep. Um, but, you know, one of our focuses here, and we'll, again, this is an uh, idea we'll develop in a later episode, but we want to encourage men to protect their communities, and sometimes that requires an aggressive tone towards those outside the church who are wolves. We kind of just assume well, my responsibility is, you know, to my household and that's it. Well, yes, that's true. And if you want to protect your household, that means you um, use a tone outside towards people outside your household in your community. And when you do that, guess what? That also protects your household. Yeah. Um, have you watched the uh, debate with... Uh with James White, Jeff Durbin, and the other two atheists? <laughs> Which one, the antifreeze one or the new one? <laughs> the new one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think <laughs> what's funny is they get criticized so often about what their tone is during the debates. And it's just so funny. I don't, mm. this is just a category completely lost to people. If something sounds mean, they just assume, oh, you're in sin. How dare you? Mm -hmm. But you really just don't understand. And we want to develop this to where hopefully we can win you over and help you to understand and think, well, there's not just one, you know, plain way to handle all these different people. Yeah. In that debate, the atheist, the person with no moral compass, said to the Christian, oh, no, we should not battle. This is not a battle of ideas. Well, Jeff Durbin, the man with convictions, said, yes, this is a battle, and we should be violent for the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, the term uh, culture warrior is thrown around a lot. But you know what? I kind of embrace it. I like that term. You know what? We are at a war. Anyone who with two eyes can see it. The, there's a clear divide in our culture today. And we can either be passive and let our children, our families, our communities be trampled on, or we can be men and, you know, deal with these false ideologies and protect our communities rather than allowing them to be trampled on. Good point. So let's flesh this out a little more. Let's just flesh this out further. Um, so tell us, um, tell us, uh, 
how we can best, who we can best imitate in our use of language. Are there any people that we can uh, serve as a guide on how we speak, how we act? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, we look to the scriptures. You know, the main person, obviously, is Christ. Um, Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, we're to imitate God. So then the question becomes, all right, what areas do we imitate? Do we pick a few arbitrary areas and then say, imitate those ones and not these other ones? Or are we to imitate all that God has revealed to us? And I think oftentimes we're told, you know, imitate the areas where God sounds nice to people. But don't imitate those areas where he uses a, a harsher, more aggressive tone because that's not nice and you're not God. Well, my question is, why are we arbitrarily choosing niceness over, you know, a strong, a strong tone? I mean, I'm not God, so why would I use a soft tone? I don't know their heart. I'm not God. I, why should I use a harsh term? I don't know their heart. It's, it's just ironic that we've arbitrarily made these lines in the sand. But I'm going to argue that we imitate all of God in all of the different ways he uses language in different contexts. What are the different contexts that God has used language? Um. Yeah, um, so I like to make a divide. Um, there's generally two types of people, and this can be nuanced to death, but just for simplicity's sake, I'm going to say there's those who are trodden down, brokenhearted, and those that are proud, haughty, um, unrepentant, have hard hearts. And those two different types of people need to be addressed in two different types of ways. Um, you know, a good example of, you know, softness towards the brokenhearted would be in Isaiah 61. Kendrick, do you want to hop there and read it for us? Of course. This Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to his cap to captives, and freedom to prisoners. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, when we read the passage, and this is obviously referring to Christ's first coming, his incarnation, when he died on the cross, resurrected and ascended, well, it's assumed that everyone is the brokenhearted, downtrodden, afflicted. That's yeah. not necessarily true because if you read, you know, Christ's uh, words to the Pharisees, obviously it's not directed at them. But the point is, these people fall into a category of, you know, they need grace, restoration. Um, they need to be picked up. Um, and, you know, obviously that includes repentance, but you don't necessarily need such a strong tone for people that realize they're broken and are looking for hope. So to be clear, you're talking about um, people who know that they have sinned or sometimes people who don't know that they have sinned, but you can see that they're trying to follow God and that you tell them in a gentle tone, you know, hey, you sinned, and and then they're like, oh, no, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think in some way we all know we're sinning, but 
I, I get what you're saying. There's there's people who have sinned and who see the consequences of that sin and how it brings destruction and they want life. They they see all they see where that has led them. They want life. And then there's another category of people who see the destruction and they say, This is good. We need to keep doing this. Um, and they just bring about worse and worse things and they destroy communities. Can you give us examples of who these people are, uh, particularly? Yeah. Um, well, I guess, you know, a good example is the, the liberalization of our churches. Um, you know, often these terrible ideas are snuck in under the guise of egalitarianism. And even that's just going to make so many people mad that I just said that, but it's true. Um, you have these churches who erase distinctions between men and women. Um, you adopt a certain hermeneutic where you contextualize everything that happens and you can dismiss it. And then once you do that, well, the door's wide open for you to just start dismissing every other passage in the Bible you don't like because every passage in the Bible has a context that it was written in. Um, and when you do that, you know, you start sneaking in other false ideologies. You become gay-affirming. And when you erase distinctions between men and women, you open the doors to transgenderism. Um, you swing open the doors to gender just being a social construct and not something um, rooted in creation. And it's just one compromise at a time that leads you down this road, and it's destroying of church communities you begin to preach a false gospel and you compromise greatly damaging the flock instead of protecting them from the wolves. Yeah, I really liked how you put that. Um, so, Tim, did you get these ideas just from yourself? Or, like, did you get this idea that you need to rebuke the unrepentant? Where did you get that exactly? Yeah, well... There's two places you can go. You can look in church history, first off. Look at the Reformers. Uh, my gosh. It, if you read some of the ways they wrote, um, I'm thinking like John Knox specifically, they took a very aggressive tone towards false teaching. Uh, Kendrick, I know you, you're a church history buff. Do you have any um, examples of some strong language used by the Reformers? Well, first off, we have the king of the lang of aggressive language, Martin Luther himself. Um, whenever he was debating with Erasmus, um, they both used, they both created new words for excrement and use it as each other, use <laughs> it at each other. Um, there was of course, John Knox who wrote the, uh, what was it? The triumph, the, the, blow the trumpet the war against women of against women in authority mm -hmm. yeah I, it would be so shocking to see something written like that today i wish it was mm -hmm. and we need to redeem that category mm -hmm. but uh yeah we're we're so far gone from what the reformers <laughs> started um but you know even the reformers that may be like uh you might be thinking well they're they're fallen human beings they they could have been in sin for talking like that. So you can't build a whole case for using strong language based off them. And I would say, yeah, you, you know, that's generally correct. You know, fair point. Um, we can look to their example, but I think most people will want an argument from the scriptures. 
um, to build this uh, theology on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the <laughs> my favorite passage um, in dealing with this issue is Ezekiel um, 23. Let me turn there real quick. Um, and this is God himself uh, speaking to Israel, and he uses some pretty fiery uh, language. Um, let me just read it to you. Um, and I'll start in verse 5. Ohala played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purples, govern- governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt, for in her youth she had lain with her and handed her virgin bosom and poured out her whoring lust upon her. <laughs> wow, that has me sweating right now. Yeah, and if uh, if you think that's bad, you know, um, just wait, because it gets even more um, fiery than that. All right, and if you hop down to verse 18, when she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her, as I had returned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth, when she played the whore in the land of Egypt, and lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys, and whose issue was like that of horses. Now, I'm not going to explain what um, the members and the issue were, I'll just encourage you to do your own research on that and uh, just use your imagination. And I would like to warn those who have kids not to let them uh, in in your own private study. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, what's often shocking to us is that God would use this type of language in, in addressing his own people who are in open rebellion. But... You know, this this sets the standard for how you deal with unrepentant sin. You don't treat it with softness. When someone is unrepentant and hard of heart, you you whip out the flamethrower sometimes and you give them strong language. But Tim, it's uh, we had to use wholesome language. We had to use um, we had to have um, speech seasoned with salt. Yeah, you know, and um, hey, guess what? Using strong language can be speech seasoned with salt. Oh, Tim, you don't want to give away too much of the Krabby Patty secret formula (laughs) right now, don't you? So can you give us some other ticks that would include uh, strong language used by primarily someone we think of as mildly and lowly? Yeah, you know, you know the meek and mild Jesus. He would never dare say anything that sounded mean, right? Well, and you know, uh, Matthew twenty-three, going up right into twenty-four, where he pronounces judgment on the Pharisees. He's talking to. Uh, he he has some pretty fiery words for them, um, and this is called uh, the the woes on the Pharisees. And let me just read it to you. And this is Jesus talking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, 
If we had lived for the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute you from town to town, so that you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then he goes immediately into Matthew 24, and he reiterates that what he's talking about is for that generation. But that's for another episode. You know, whenever I was a young Christian, I really caught, I was really caught aback by the way uh, how Jesus was aggressive. And not only Jesus, but the Apostle of Grace himself, Paul. Um, he talks about... Um, and this is Acts 23.3. Paul had just been uh, locked, has been detained by the Sanhedrin. And he and they are about to slap him. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit and try me to try me according to the law in violation of the law? Order me to be struck. Yeah, uh, I can already hear all the objections. Um but, you know, the reason we're emphasizing these strong passages is because it's generally agreed upon where to imitate, you know, the soft passages. But whenever you get to these passages that deal with an aggressive tone, the argument always is, well, they can do that because they're God or they're an apostle or they're a prophet or they're a judge. That's not you. My question for you is, okay, we're none of those people. Who's left to imitate? I mean, seriously, think about it. Who is left to imitate at that point? You've just taken everyone out of the Bible. I mean, who wrote all the books in the New Testament? Well, mostly apostles. Who wrote all the books in the Old Testament? Mostly judges, prophets. So you've just erased probably 75% of the Bible. We can't do anything with that anymore? Is that really your argument? You know, Christ saw all the Old Testament as authoritative, and he implemented that in his own life because he wrote the Old Testament. He inspired it. So if he saw it as authoritative and imitated it in his humanity, what are we to do? I know, right? So I want to get in soon into some object objections uh, the people the tens and tens of listeners <laughs> that we have might have so um in places like galatians 5 we have the fruit of spirit being gentleness are we not imitating the fruit of are we not having the fruit of spirit whenever we speak aggressively yeah so this is why it's important to not just read a term like that and then import all of what you think gentleness means into what that word is, you actually need to do the work of, you know, looking at how scripture defines gentleness. 
Um, and if you look, and this is apparent in many other translations, gentleness can also be translated as humility. So gentleness is not a tone, but it is a humble spirit. So the question is, can you say aggressive things in a humble spirit? What do you think, Kendrick? Well, naturally, I would say yes. To say that we can't kind of really goes against all logic that God has given us. Uh, also, I would say that Jesus was being humble whenever um, pronouncing woes to the Pharisees, pronouncing judgment, pronouncing whipping the Pharisees. And I think that is uh, humility in a sense that he was um, that he was willing to go to such lengths to kind of bring repentance to these unrepentant folks and to be humble to the flock in in caring enough to drive these people out of there sometimes whenever we think of protecting our families that we are being unloving no we are being loving and we are being humble yeah, um, and I think this is why we need to be really careful because when you simplify things too much, you can end up damaging the very character of Christ. So let's just think about this. So Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? I think we could agree that if you are not walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you're walking in the lust of the flesh. So if you look at how Christ addressed the Pharisees and you say, oh, he wasn't gentle, okay, that's a very dangerous thing to be saying. You're saying Christ would not obey the very commands that he has given to us? Would that not be sin? Are you saying Christ sinned by taking the tone that he did in Matthew 23? I think we need to be very careful in how we address these things. And I want to get into one common common misconception or objection, however you want to see it, that niceness equals kindness or kindness equals niceness. Um, Tim, in your personal opinion, what's the difference between these two terms? Yeah, and I wouldn't even say it's my opinion. It's just, uh, <laughs> I think it's just the truth. Uh, yeah, so, so niceness is how someone would like to be perceived you know when when you're talking to someone you want to sound nice that's that's a way of projecting how you would like to be perceived now kindness is different altogether and again this is why we need scripture to define its terms because again kindness is not a tone kindness is genuine concern for your neighbor so, can you take an aggressive tone out of genuine concern for your neighbor? Well, definitely yes. As I made the point before, that you can lovingly care for your neighbor by being aggressive towards him, by, being, by using aggressive and harsh language towards him. So, I think this is what the church has gone away from. Yeah, and I think on two levels this applies. So you have the immediate level of the person in front of you. Um, it's kind when someone is unrepentant sin to tell them that, not to water it down, 
um, when they have a hard hardened heart. Yeah, don't don't treat their sin as something legitimate, like a legitimate position. I think it's funny in the church today how we deal with homosexuality. We we treat it as a genuine position. We're like, oh, you know, I understand where you're coming from. You just you just want to love other other dudes. Well, that's that's not what Scripture calls homosexuality, and that's not what it is. Homosexuality is a lust. Um, you're given over to your lust, as Romans one says, and it's out of pure rebellion towards God. And this is just, as Romans one says, descent into degeneracy, and it's actually not loving to that person to water down the truth and treat it as legitimate. It's unkind to do so. Very well said. So there's something I want to bring up. I was flipping through my phone and I was, you know, looking at all the words for gentleness on, on the interwebs. And I came upon this, and this just stumped me, Tim. <laughs> In Proverbs 15.1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Tim, are we causing our brothers to sin by stirring up anger? Yeah, um, this is, you know, if if I heard someone saying what I was saying and I thought to object, this is the first place I'd go to, and I get it. I, I come from a counseling background. A lot of my classes in college were in counseling, and this verse was the emphasis of a lot of that, and I love this verse. It's great. Um, there's a few things to note. So, you know, in Proverbs, it is a proverb, it's a general truth. Um, you know, it's great in a lot of contexts. Um, however, that doesn't mean you cram it into every single context that you come across. Secondly, in a counseling context, um, you're com- people are coming to you because they recognize a problem and they want your help. So if they recognize a problem, you don't necessarily need to take an aggressive tone with them if they already recognize they need help. Um, and, you know, just on the, the stirring up anger part, there's a difference between going to someone and seeking to stir up anger and start conflict. And then there's a difference between addressing someone who is already angry, who already has a hard heart, who already hates God. Um, these are distinctions that need to be made. And, you know, gentleness, kindness, they fit into this context great. You can, you know, have a soft tone and be gentle and kind. They also fit into the context of Christ in Matthew 23. Christ was gentle in, in the fact that he was humble. You can't argue that Christ was not perfectly humble. If you do that, I think you're outside the Orthodox faith. Um, and you can't argue that he wasn't kind. Of course he was kind. He was perfectly kind. He was perfectly all of the fruit of the Spirit. So... The, the fruit of the Spirit fits in every single context. It just depends on if you're going to be walking in them in whatever tone you use or if you're not. I really like that. But, of course, we could objection after objection to this and do this till the end of the age. But I would like to ask a question that's really kind of stumped me. Um, how So, like we said, we've this has been in church history this in the bible why have the why have modern churches gone away from this model 
of being harsh towards those who are unrepentant and gentle to those who are repentant and just presume gentleness across the board shouldn't it help other people to be harsh sometimes yeah and um i think uh there needs to be a lot of pastors reading ezekiel 23 to their congregations and to themselves because the church has become a whore we have decided um to be more worried about you know how the culture perceives us than actually being faithful we've been swept by pragmatism instead of faithfulness and we we just have begun to whore our own congregations you know um we're not worried about protecting the sheep anymore we're worried about how we want to be perceived by the culture so because we've done that we've taken a soft tone in every context um and for all the pastors that have done this you have allowed the culture to go the way it has this is directly on you you are responsible that may sound harsh but guess what it needs to be said and you need to make the change because we're not in a great place in a culture and this is why we're called reconstructing Christianity we need to redeem this category and to reconstruct from here and we're not saying be aggressive in every single context but if there ever was a time to be aggressive we have a culture war in front of us greater than I'm not going to say any time before but it's great right now everyone recognizes it um, it's not looking great so we need to know how to address this in a faithful manner and in an effective manner and those two things go hand in hand very well put um, so as we get to the closing of this show there's one thing I want to ask and that is, how can we apply the use of language into our, into our culture? How can we as the lay Christians, the pastors, everyone of every, uh, of every uh, station, every office, how can we apply this use of language in our own lives to give us hope for a better future? Yeah, so again, one of our emphases is emphases, emphasize. Emphasis. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we want to get practical. We don't just want to give you the theology to put in your head and then, you know, you have nothing to do. Um, we want to give you action. Um, so here, here's my thoughts on how to apply this to your life. Uh, many of us probably aren't, you know, in a lot of leadership. Um, you know, most men, you're probably right now just worried about your families, your kids. Um, but I would say there's there's fears of authority. The first is the family. So if you're a man and you have a family, okay, your authority is there. That's where your leadership is. What are you doing to protect it? Are you trying to be perceived as nice at the expense of things getting worse outside your doors and you're allowing for people to trample on your children and your wives? If you are, repent and start dealing with these things like men. And then uh, for a lot of people, you know, the next step is the church. Um, how are you handling things in the church? Are you a leader in your church? Are you a pastor? Well, you know, fight off the wolves. That's one of your responsibilities. Um, you know, deal with them that way. And then lastly, 
you have, you know, people in leadership in government, in the military. Kendrick, you know, I think a lot of our government and military is run by pagans. What do we do about this? How do we encourage them to protect? Well, first, I would like to stay. I would like to say that um, that even whenever you're burned to your, you're burned by your faith. You're um, you're forced to leave your work. You're forced to leave your job. Um, these things are seen by others and show. In this way, you show your faith is real. Whenever Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Um, Isaac, in a sense, had this idea that, wow, Abraham's faith is real. And I think that's whenever Isaac came to believe God. Is that, wow, Abraham has showed his faith in such a drastic way that he was willing to sacrifice me because God told him to. This is a real God. Yeah, and, you know, to hop off that or hop on that idea, we have this sense of self-preservation that um, if we just keep our heads down, um, if we just try to be friends with everybody, then we're going to be safe. And, um, you know, temporarily that might be true, but in the long run, you're actually making things get worse and you're not. Your, your self-preservation is actually going the opposite way if you don't address these things. You're actually making things more dangerous for yourselves and your families by not. So... Um, to hop off that and to go back to our government and our uh, military, you know, the, the structure of our society. It's run by pagans. That's obvious. How, how do we change that? Well, I think one way is to use harsh language. And by doing that, we show that this worldview, that this stupid atheistic worldview has nothing it really has nothing we go to Babylon B and so far Babylon B feels a lot more like Fox News does than Fox News <laughs> and I'm sure the Babylon B is a lot more effective at changing minds than Fox News is yeah I mean yeah Babylon B has changed a lot of minds for a lot of people I think of people like uh, J.P. Uh, Morgan, uh, awaken with J.P. Uh, with J.P. I mean, he credited the Babylon Bee as changing his views on certain things. Honestly, Babylon Bee looks a lot more credible than CNN and Snopes. Yeah, and you know, mockery is very effective. They he use mockery and they win over a lot of people that way. And you know, I don't know their intentions behind it. But I would say that's that's a form of kindness. Exactly. And they use a very... I, their tone doesn't seem aggressive, but their actions do. And whenever we have that aggressive action, we make the world know that this faith is real. It's not just real to us. It's real to everybody. Yeah, and... and um, it, so what we're arguing for is not a top-down approach. We're saying from the bottom up, that's how you rebuild, reconstruct society. So if you're faithful to your household, if you take that aggressive tone to protect your family instead of letting things continue to get bad, things will get better on that level. Move up 
to the next sphere of authority, the church. You have people in the church who go out into their communities and take that aggressive tone to protect their communities instead of allowing things to get worse. Guess what? That level will start to get better. And you just go from level to level to level from the top, from the bottom up, and things will slowly get better. And we believe this is also in line with the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples. Well, you can't make disciples if all of the sheep are getting eaten up by wolves. So the two go hand in hand. I think that was really well put. And Tim, go ahead and close us out. Yeah, and for all the people out there worried about tone and who are just sitting on sitting on the couch with the thumbs up their butt, not doing anything, um, what, I, what I want to say to you in the great words of D.L. Moody, I like my way of engaging the culture better than your way of not doing it.